I'm recording in swimming trunks. I'm recording in swimming trunks. I'm recording in swimming trunks. Cause this is the first episode. Welcome to Fantasy Band Draft. My name is Chris Slattery, and I'll be the host of this podcast. This is the first episode in a series of conversations where we talk to people looking to create the ultimate supergroup. What we do is we take a vocalist, a guitarist, a drummer, and either a bassist or a multi-instrumentalist to form the greatest band of all time. Now, there are only two basic rules. No two people from the same bands, and no repeats from a previous episode. Now... I know this is not a totally original idea. I'm not a creative genius who was the first person to say, it would be really cool if Weird Al worked on a project with the guys from Daft Punk, the guy who plays Turntable from Slipknot, and, no, oh, what the hell, Michigan J. Frog on vocals. Oh, maybe I am the first person to say that specifically, but the fact of the matter is that people have created their own hypothetical team-ups for ages. What we want to do is take this a step further than just listing a bunch of bands or artists that we like. I really want to dig into the why of it all. Why this drummer? What is it about this singer that makes them stand out from the crowd of every other vocalist? For each pick, I'll have my guests show their work and pick out a song passage that they feel exemplifies exactly what makes these musicians special, so you, the listener, will know what we're talking about. Today, we won't have a guest, which gives me the opportunity to kick things off by talking about my picks. However, before I talk about my four choices, I first want to talk about the idea of supergroups and why I find them endlessly fascinating. Basically, I don't think that supergroups work in the way that they should. I think that they're a great idea, but they're just almost impossible to fully deliver on. There are exceptions, and I'll talk about those in a minute, but for the vast majority of projects that comprise of different members of already successful outfits, the sum is typically less than its parts. This isn't to say that collaboration isn't an essential part of making great music. Sufjan Stevens can play piano on a couple of songs for The National, but that doesn't make The National a supergroup. I'm also not talking about collaborations for marketing campaigns, which, don't get me wrong, can sound amazing. For example, check out the song Do Ya Thing that Gorillaz, James Murphy, and Andre 3000 made for Converse. Because everyone maintains their own identity with no intention of creating something substantial or long-lasting. They're selling you sneakers. It is interesting when Skrillex joins up with their surviving members of The Doors for a documentary, but again, not a supergroup. It's just still Skrillex and The Doors, and they make one song for one thing and then it's over. However, if you take the vocalist from The Kills, the bassist from The Raconteurs, the guitarist, keyboardist from Queens of the Stone Age, and whatever the fuck Jack White does in his other projects, and put out three decently solid albums, you have yourself a supergroup. And the thing is, the Dead Weather doesn't sound like any of the aforementioned bands. Come on, look 
the fuzz on the guitars and just the way that the organs punch just make every song sound like how your brain would feel at the funeral of an ex that you never fully got over. It's dark and a little morbid, but you're also pissed off and a little horny. The point I'm trying to make here is, sadly, purely commercial. It's incredibly rare for a supergroup to reach the same critical success or popularity when it's crazy to think that that would ever be the case. When you have a band that's comprised of the guitarist from Smashing Pumpkins, the bassist from Fountain of Wayne, the drummer from Cheap Trick, and the Taylor Hansen from... Hansen, one would expect a substantial and well-received output. I don't think I've been living under too large of a rock. I mean, it's modestly sized due to the rising rock rent prices in the Twin Cities. But I had not heard of Tinted Windows until researching this episode. That's the supergroup formed by the people that I was just talking about. But seriously, they've been a band for a decade already. Them Crooked Vultures is a supergroup that's a little bit more ubiquitous, and they've even won a Grammy in 2011, but compared to the collective Grammys won by its members, I mean Dave Grohl alone has 16 for his efforts, it seems weird that three incredibly talented musicians couldn't pull off an album that garnered more praise. I mean, hell, Korn has twice as many Grammys as Them Crooked Vultures. That's Corn has two Grammys. But is that the point? These artists, who could play with anyone they wanted to, chose each other. If there's one thing that most supergroups have in common, it's that they sound like they're having a lot of fun doing what they're doing. Maybe that's the point. James Mercer doesn't have to work with Danger Mouse on Broken Bells when he already has The Shins, where he gets to indulge his weird and eccentric whims already. But it's the relationship and the dynamic between the two that makes it worth it for them. Broken Bells doesn't need to sell a single album when Danger Mouse will continue to produce every album until the end of time. And The Shins will just always be that band with that one song that'll change your life, I swear. Maybe the fans were never really who these supergroups were for in the first place. Maybe there's no real reason why the vocalist from Fish got together with the drummer from The Police and the bassist from Primus to form a band called Oysterhead. Oysterhead. I mean, before anyone gets pissed, I know who Les Claypool is, and it's more describing his function in the band Oysterhead rather than Primus, just for the sake of diversity amongst the members. Maybe the world wouldn't really be that different if the members of Velvet Revolver just stayed in their own camps. But for the people that really like what they do, maybe that doesn't matter. And maybe you can shove your pretentious and poorly researched hot take up your ass because Velvet Revolver fucking rules, man! Well, that's enough talking about that. Let's get into the draft itself. The hard part, and I know my guests will feel the same way, is that a lot of these picks are based on a feeling. While there is a lot of respect and consideration taken for the technical aspects of the musicians, this list feels more fluid. It's more of a a snapshot of where I am as a music fan at this moment of this recording. I could have completely different picks by the time that this episode actually drops, and uh, I, I don't think that's a bad thing. 
In the meantime, let me introduce you to my pick for the supergroup's vocalist. Simon Balthazar from Fanfarlo. This is going to be the pick that I'm going to hold to be my most constant. The vocal performances on Fan Farlow songs are everything that I could want in a singer. His delivery of words just give me the impression that someone's just leaning into every syllable and there's this weird illusion that sounds like the engineer turns up the volume at the beginning of each word and then turns it back down at the end. It's, it's weird. The, I mean, the subdued parts of the song make it sound like he hasn't fully stopped rolling from last night's ecstasy and can barely stop clenching his teeth, but when he opens up and actually projects, it comes out from the very middle of the body for this warm, round performance. The song that you're listening to right now is called Ghosts, off of their debut, Reservoir, and it perfectly encapsulates what I love about his vocal delivery. It's warm and comforting, and if I could only listen to one person sing for the rest of my life, it would be this guy. Guitarist, Aaron Desner from The National. Whenever I read coverage of The National, a lot of the praise gets heaped on the lyrics and vocal delivery from frontman Matt Berninger, and the music's function is left to simply amplify the words. However, the creative process of making a national song actually starts with the band creating the music first and then finding the lyrics later. One of the biggest architects of this music is guitarist Aaron Desner, who I find to be incredibly versatile. While I can appreciate guitarists who do one thing and do it very well, cigarettes after sex comes to mind, Aaron has quite a bit of range. I've seen this band live and I can tell you from experience that the ferocity that drives songs like Abel translate really well into the restraint and contemplation that makes Daughters, Soho Riots just as equally riveting. Just listen to what I assume is an improvisation that he plays uh, during an interview for Coffee and Flowers. It's a podcast detailing the creation of the band's album, Boxer. While it is by no means their best song, The System Only Dreams in Total Darkness may be one of the greatest examples of Aaron's willingness to push what a national song can be. 
throughout six albums, the band has never had a song with a pronounced guitar solo, and then out of nowhere, Aaron comes in with just this, this sick line. Is it the most complex guitar solo ever? Of course not. But it's proof that as a guitarist, Aaron Dessner is looking for new methods and new tools in the toolbox to try. If I'm making a fantasy band, I don't want them to remain static. I'll trust Aaron Dessner to keep the music changing. Drummer, Darren King from Mute Math. Darren King is an absolute beast behind the drum kit. There is no way around it. I mean, there's a reason that he has to duct tape his headphones to his head during live performances. The pure physicality of his drumming can be heard through every song. I'm a, I'm a sucker for drum fills and other flourishes, and I can't think of anyone who can keep the beat so assuredly while going absolutely buck wild at the same time. I mean, the first few times that I listened to Mute Math's debut album, I was convinced that the drums were entirely artificial and programmed. They were just that locked in. But having seen Mute Math in concert three times, I can decidedly say that Darren King is a fucking octopus. Here's a taste of what he does in a video that you should really watch as well as listen to called Light Drums. Bassist, James Murphy from LCD Sound System. James Murphy is commonly known as a frontman. He doesn't typically play any instruments on stage outside of the occasional cowbell solo, but he does play the vast majority of the music on LCD Sound System albums. He is, by all accounts, a multi-instrumentalist. However, I'm looking to use Murphy as the bassist for this band. Sure, he can help with synths and percussion, but I'm looking to assemble a relatively traditional band to mark this first episode. I mean, Murphy is not exactly a virtuosic bass player. He's not actually a really a virtuosic anything, but he just makes everything sound so damn good. You can really hear the bass prevalent in songs like Give It Up off of LCD's eponymous debut. It's nothing mind-blowing or even particularly original, but Murphy has a way of making everything in the studio just sound like it's perfect. I think that's an invaluable asset to the team. The longevity of the band is kind of up in the air. Darren King has left Mute Math to produce music for his wife and to perform solo shows consisting of mashups augmented with live drums. Despite the length of time that The National has been around, hardly a profile of the band goes by without mentioning how much tension there is between the members, so it's clear that Aaron Dessner is no stranger to conflict. While that may be sustainable for a band that survived eight albums together, there's really nothing keeping a Dessner twin this new outfit. James Murphy, in my mind, is going to be the biggest wild card of the group. 
Transitioning from the frontman and orchestrator of a band to playing a background role is a strange position to put him in, and all accounts point him sliding directly into the role of being an insufferable perfectionist. I don't know how well these four minds will play together. I imagine the rhythm section of Murphy and King would steer this band into more of an electronic-y direction, or at least a rock band with a very prominent and energetic beat behind it. I mean, if the members of this band were to behave themselves long enough to put out an album, I imagine most of these songs would be catchy as hell. These gentlemen are all great at creating their own hooks, and I can't even begin to imagine the end of a verse where Balthazar's vocals carrying a syllable over King's drum fill that explodes with Desner and Murphy demolishing this first measure of the chorus, as if to say, we're not even going to ask you if you're still listening to this because of course the fuck you are. The question then becomes, what do we call this collection of dudes? Their respective projects run the gamut for band names, from the ironic and silly LCD sound system to one of the most difficult to Google with The National. Whatever the origins, each of these musicians appears to be pretty literate, leading me to believe that a poetic or historical illusion would probably be acceptable. In the interest of compromise, the phrase Paris is well worth a mass feels appropriate. Coined originally by Henry of Navarre in late 16th century, Paris is well worth a mass means more or less that pragmatism can lead to a greater good. The outcome justifies the trade-offs made along the way. Maybe you need to shift your ideals a little bit so that French human bones stop getting ground into flour. It makes more sense if you actually look at it in the greater historical context. The phrase is a nice, wordy acknowledgement of concession, and being honest, it probably looked pretty great on a t-shirt, too. To close out this episode, and what I would like to do with every episode forthcoming, is to talk about what we're listening to now. Nothing related to the artists that we've discussed so far. Just an album, or an artist, or a playlist that we're currently vibing with. Personally, I've been having a great time with the newest record by The Mountain Goats called In League With Dragons. John Darnell and Company's recent albums haven't really been giving me the same satisfaction as earlier Mountain Goats material, so I was pleasantly surprised when I took a great liking to this latest release. Songs like Going Invisible 2, Sicilian Crest, and especially Possum by Night are true standouts and really pushed Darnell to sing like I haven't really heard him sing before. Spent stars in the winter sky Days of refuge in short supply All you parasites climb aboard Sometimes when the mountain goats stretch out and try something new It doesn't really work for me, but this time it really, really does Also check out I Only Listen to the Mountain Goats it's a podcast from Night Vale Presents, which is currently in the middle of a season that breaks down this album track by track to discuss how each song transformed from idea to demo to finished work. It's fascinating, I promise. Well, that concludes this episode of Fantasy Band Draft. I've been your host, Chris Slattery. I'm on Twitter at, at SlatteryChris. That's S-L-A-T-T-E-R-Y-C-H-R-I-S. No underscores or backslashes or any silliness like that. Um, next time I'll be talking to an actual other person, but until next time, um, 
hopefully I will have thought of something clever to end on by then. Thanks for listening, guys. <laughs>